Digital Gonzo, episode 80, dated Thursday the 7th of June 2012, Prometheus. This is the third of seven reviews of the Alien movies. So far we've covered the 1979 original and its James Cameron-helmed follow-up. Over the next two weeks, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, and the two Alien vs. Predator spin-offs will rear their ugly heads. But right now we're looking at the most eagerly anticipated prequel, arguably, since The Phantom Menace. At least until Bilbo Baggins sets out this Christmas. An inexplicably late US release date claimed Leah Haydu tonight, so on the bridge of the Prometheus, returning for a journey into the unknown, Joshua Garrity of Kane and Rince emerges dripping from his pod. Hello there. Matt Ramsey of Dorktune sets his flamethrower to atrocity level. Good evening. James Perkins of Geekwad is set to spray his genetic material over all and sundry. Good evening. And Sharon Shaw of Gonzo Planet is wishing she didn't have calamari for lunch. Good evening. Oh, and a quick word on sound. I'm currently using the conference function on my blue snowball to allow me and Sharon to both sit at the same table and talk on the same podcast. I just want to see how this works. Uh, if it sounds terrible, let me know. If it sounds great, probably going to do it more in the future. Now, this is very important. We cannot possibly talk in any detail about Prometheus without spoilers. It would be detrimental to the entire project. So I think my crew will agree with me that this movie is at least worth seeing at the cinema. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep. So go see it, come back here, and we'll talk spoilers after the following music. A king has his reign. Separated by centuries, and yet, this same pictogram was discovered in every one of them. They're smiling. I think they want us to come and find them. We're all here because of a map you two kids found in a cave. Not a map, an invitation. From whom? Please tell me you can read that. Prometheus? Are you seeing this? Whatever that probe is picking up, it's reading life form. What do you mean a life form? Oh, the head. Changing. Changing into what? It's moving. These things moving. What is that? There's a ship. They're leaving. Go where? Earth. We were so wrong. Take us home! No, stop it! They won't get it home to go back to! Why is that door open? Cut it off! Cut it videos. 
There were several videos linked to the marketing campaign, which on the whole are better than the film. The first is the 2023 TED conference, that's Technology, Entertainment and Design, in which Peter Whelan first broaches his undiscovered big plans for the future. The second is an advertisement for Michael Fassbender's David, one of a long line of synthetic humans, this model designed to feel emotions. It's a great shame that both of these are not included in the finished film because without the TED conference, which only a certain percentage of the audience will have seen, it's not entirely clear why the 90-year-old Peter Wayland is played in this film by a 44-year-old man with latex prosthetics on his face. It's apparent that he spent 70 years building robots, but little else is known about him. And I say 90, I guess he could be 100. T.E. Lawrence, eponymously of Arabia, but very much an Englishman, favoured pinching a burning match between his fingers to put it out. When asked by his colleague, William Potter, to reveal his trick, how is it he so effectively extinguished the flame without hurting himself whatsoever, Lawrence just smiled and said, the trick, Potter, is not minding it hurts. <laughs> the fire that danced at the end of that match was a gift from the titan Prometheus. A gift that he stole from the gods when Prometheus was caught and brought to justice for his theft. The gods, well, you might say they overreacted a little. The poor man was tied to a rock as an eagle ripped through his belly and ate his liver over and over, day after day, ad infinitum. All because he gave us fire, our first true piece of technology, fire. 100,000 BC, stone tools, 4,000 BC, the wheel, 9th century AD, gunpowder, bit of a game changer that one. 19th century, Eureka, the light bulb, 20th century, the automobile, television, Nuclear weapons, spacecraft, internet. 21st century, biotech, nanotech, fusion and fission and M theory. And that was just the first decade. We are now three months into the year of our Lord, 2023. At this moment in our civilization, we can create cybernetic individuals who in just a few short years will be completely indistinguishable from us. Which leads to an obvious conclusion. We are the gods now. For those of you who know me, you will be aware by now that my ambition is unlimited. You know that I will settle for nothing short of greatness. Or I will die trying. For those of you who do not yet know me, Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Peter Wayland. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to change the world. Do you see what I'm saying? That is extraordinary just just the the commitment of actually putting that one across and the, the performance there from guy pierce i wish everyone had brought that intensity to this film and that level of class 
Yeah. Um, it's weird because um, he's kind of doing a John Hurt impression, though. Yeah, John Hurt with quite a lot of Peter O'Toole mixed in there as well. Yeah, and it makes me wonder why not get John Hurt to be in the uh, the main film? Because yeah. it feels like the only reason why um, Guy Pearce is in the theatrical uh, film with latex all over his face is so that they can justify this viral marketing which seems a bit which odd. didn't need to exist unless they had him in it's kind of a cart before the horse situation yeah and there's plenty of old actors who look like they're about to die I mean Christopher Lee looks like he's about to keel over at any second <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe have Guy Pearce playing him as a younger man and yeah. Peter O'Toole playing him as an older man yeah I mean Saving Private Ryan got away with that and nobody minded hmm. so I mean ultimately it's only placed things like Back to the Future which do that and it's always a little bit shonky anyway but we, we it's fine because we, we've already established that there's something important about time travel in, in this and you're going back and forth within the same film to these characters and it's, it's important but it's also a comedy yeah yeah that's what I was going to say with Back to the Future there's a lighter tone whereas Prometheus is trying to make you take it really seriously and it's hard to when Guy Pearce comes on with plastic stuck to his face so I think it's very clever. Um, the problem is, I think, as you said before, it kind of um, weakened the impact of the film uh, mm-hmm. because this built up a level of hype that mm-hmm. kind of was impossible to meet um, with the product they had. Um, and it, in some ways, because you watch all that stuff, you're kind of more interested in like, oh, why why didn't we have a film dedicated to David himself, just David? Why didn't we have a film about Wayland? Because it was way more interesting than uh, what was going on in the actual film. The film serves as both a prequel to and a makeshift remake of Alien, following very similar beats and answering some questions along the way. One of the problems that keeps turning up is the huge amount of unanswered questions and the even bigger boatload of new ones that this film throws out. As it closes, the film virtually screams for a sequel. One, I think, that will be a PG-13, because I suspect, as one of the most expensive R-rated movies of all time, this may not get the box office that Fox need to greenlight a follow-up without that proviso. Plot Holes and Problems there has been a shitstorm of negative feedback and a backlash of defensive retorts on the internet. If you go to Xenopedia, where alien fans flock in their thousands, you will see torrents of anger and locked threads that simply descend into slagging matches. The following are a series of bullet points with issues that have been raised. We shall address each one and look for the possible answers. It also serves as a way of taking us through the film. It's important to remember before we start that despite Ridley Scott directing and producing, this was written by Damon Lindelof, one of the five writers on Cowboys and Aliens, freshness rating 44%, and John Spates, whose only other writing credit was The Darkest Hour, freshness rating 11%. Oh dear. And I have always found that a film is only as good as its script. What does, for want of a better word, the black goo do? And this relates to the intro sequence where the uh, Prothean, <laughs> the, sorry, Promethean, sorry, the, what are they calling them now? Engineers. Um, engineers. Sorry, forerunners? Um, this is where the ancestor, this, this is where the space jockey uh, sacrifices <laughs> himself, it, it would appear, to 
kickstart the the life cycle into another an, another phase. It's 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 the monolith at the beginning of two thousand and one. So what does the black goo actually do? Anyone? Well, I always imagined it as like a, a genetic coder, mm-hmm. like. Um, uh, for example, at the beginning of the film, um, you have the engineer sacrificing himself. It seems like he drinks some of that goo um, that's possibly uh, programmed to create like human life. And so it breaks down his body and then uh, reorganize it, reorganizes it and the DNA rebuilds itself, I think I noticed, um, in the water. After it splits all apart, it rebuilds the DNA again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine that's what they were doing at that facility. Um, so effectively, where they go is like a weapons research lab and mm. they're trying to create the alien, which... You know, by the way, that proves a theory that we've been having talking about for quite some time that these aliens are in fact engineered weapons. Um, oh, hang on. Where, are they trying to create the alien, the xenomorph? Is that where is that confirmed? Because I came out a little bit confused. Well, I, I got the impression that those all the creatures that we saw there and that black goo and that stuff were like early prototypes. Like they were going through the research and development stage, they hadn't reached the final product. Mm-hmm. Um, like that snake-like thing feels like an early prototype of the uh, face hugger, um, which also allows them to hit the same beats as the original alien. But yeah. surely all those creatures—they didn't come into being until the humans got there and disturbed the lab. Yeah, I can't explain that. Um. <laughs> and also, there was a, a carving of what looked like a xenomorph on the back wall of the, yeah. um, uh, of the, the, the chamber with the head. Yeah. It, that made me and Midge both go, hmm, and stroke our beards. Because <laughs> when the um, black goo gets into that guy's system... It I wish it had a name, by the way. Black goo. Sounds, so, this sounds so B-movie. Uh, genetic Coder. Maybe mm. call it that. I don't know. Yeah, but we don't even know if that's what it does. That's yeah, because all, all I saw it doing was breaking down his DNA. I didn't. I didn't notice it rebuilding anything. So mm. to me, it's just it's a weapon, and that the guy was, for whatever reason, committing some kind of ritual suicide. I don't know why he would be doing this. It wasn't explained, but I didn't see it as. Um, it's a weapon, as far as I can. I can't see any of the. Yeah, but um, the way. Every time the black goo is involved with anyone, it always produces eventually like this face hugger thing. So with the snake thing, it created a you know snake thing. And then Hang on, no, no. With a snake thing, it created a snake. We have to be more specific than that. There were earthworms yeah. or worm-like creatures on yeah. the in yeah. the earthen floor of that room, yeah. and it would appear that it accelerated their growth until they became giant cobra-like things. Yeah. Yeah, so the black goo, um, did, oh, that wasn't really well explained, was it? Um, nope. no, <laughs> Very yeah, little uh, at this end of the film that was well explained. But, um, <laughs> it seemed to, uh, when it got into the guy system, it was changing him into some kind of alien thing because he started acting and behaving like an alien when they reopened the door to see what he was doing. And when. How, how, it, how did. Sorry, I missed, may have missed that bit. How was he acting like an alien? Well, he was leaping about trying to kill everyone. Oh, you mean... Um, oh, what's his name? Firefield. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, I, I, to me, that was just him hulking out and killing everyone because the script called for someone to go mental and kill everyone. 
I, I'm not sure that that was turning him into a xenomorph. So much I don't as... know. I'm not saying he was going to become a xenomorph. Mm. What I'm saying is that the uh, the black goo is a coder that mm. is designed to, to make you hyper aggressive to create this creature and what happened was it was introduced to his his system and had like an unforeseen you know consequence of that is that he starts freaking out and starts demonstrating behavior similar to the fi- the final product that they're actually after so um, when it's hang on a second because we're talking about maybe they we're talking about two different black goos because um the engineer at the beginning drinks some and it breaks down his body's cellular structure. Yeah. Fifield gets soaked in it and turns into the Hulk. Uh, uh, Problem uh, I've got is that it does... Charlie imbibes a single drop of it and his body starts to change on a cellular level. It does uh, radically different things to different people. The, the engineer, whatever you want to call him at the beginning, mm. has a, 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 a mouthful and disintegrates almost immediately. Uh, Milburn... Um, just Wouldn't it just burn dies. straight through his stomach? Why would it go to his yeah. legs first? Milburn just seems to die. Uh, Fifield basically stays the same, but becomes an insane mental. mentalist. Mm. Possibly dies and gets resurrected. Who knows? Um, Charlie uh, Holloway, as you say, has a tiny, tiny drop and then has a weird wormy thing in his eye and then just becomes ill. Also, it gets to his real... sperm. Don't uh, don't discount well, the fact that it gets in the, into his boys. This is true, and so uh, there doesn't seem to be any kind of and the 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 worms become um, snakes. Yep. I, I, there's no narrative cohesion. <sighs> no it is sense. possible no that they went, that uh, Scott and the writers called it black goo and said, "Well, it does any number of things. It does whatever we want it to." We'll explain it later. I mean. Possibly it, it has a random effect depending on the the, um, the DNA of whatever it is hmm. it comes into contact with, but that seems like a really... It would make sense if it had an entirely random effect if they were just creating it there, but since it turns up at the beginning and seems to have a very specific targeted effect, if it is indeed the same black goo, and if it's not, then surely there could be some other way that they could seed the planet, then it would appear to be doing something else entirely. Mm. Again, whatever the script calls for it. Well, yeah. The other confusing thing is the, the cylinders that it comes in. What happened to those in Alien? <laughs> they've changed a bit. Well, um, that it just makes no sense. It just doesn't really make a lot... I've no idea what happened if I'm the, the, It's important to note that the ship that they go on to in uh, Prometheus, the in- engineer ship, is not the same engineer ship as the one that's at the beginning of Alien. It's not the same planetoid. It's not the same ship. But it's the it's, exact same designer ship. It's the exact same design. But, yeah. um, but the, there's no direct correlation between those urns, those jars, the vases, and the uh, facehugger eggs. That is merely coincidence. I think what we said when we came out of the cinema... Oh, and because it um, hits the same beats as Alien. Yeah, on the... uh, What would would you say? On the slab in front of the carving of what looks like a xenomorph, there is an egg-shaped thing which is glowing. And I think... Like a facehugger egg shape. Yeah. And I think what we said when we came out of the cinema was that maybe, um, obviously, if it is a, uh, a biological weapon, that they were each ship had a different testing facility, maybe, um, so that the ship that um, Shaw gets on at the end 
Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, might be the xenomorph. Yeah, it might be the xenomorph. Which does indeed turn up at the end of... Uh, what well, we thought would be really awesome if um, it turns out that that uh, dead engineer, the space jockey in the original Alien, is actually Shaw herself, yeah. just in, in um, engineer uniform. Well, if you saw as but well... the um, creature is still way bigger than a human uh, in, in Alien, so that still wouldn't work. Well, yeah, if you saw when the space jockey got in during Prometheus, the what looked like the rib cage sort of closed over, so that maybe... And, and obviously the helmet mm. came over and closed round the head. So maybe if, if that was essentially just, like, a new shell, mm. maybe it is still actually sure inside that. It would be really cool. And that would have been such a great end of the movie. But yeah. basically, yeah, she's on this planet, and she's, she's, she's sending out a distress call, and then... Yeah, but this is after she's met the first face hugger, and then suddenly, and then suddenly, it's like that's it. That's the only Prometheus you ever need. Next up, Alien. Yeah. Um, sorry. Can we just quickly go back to the Black Coup for course, two seconds? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, you mentioned somebody getting covered in it and dying instantly. Um, um when did that happen? I, I didn't do that. I think it, um, somebody said that, that was Milburn. Milburn died. No, that was. That was the scaredy cat uh, biologist. It was Fifield who um, got, got it in his he, face. He tried yeah, to but cut that off the cobra-like acid blood from the cobra. That yeah, but then he in. fell. Then he fell over, and his face went into the black goo on the floor. Yeah, but his face got melted by because of the acid blood, right? That's why he died. Hmm. The black goo consistently just reorganizes DNA, as that's true. Far yeah. as I can see. Sharon's putting her hand up. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I can wait until... No, go for it. No, 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 I was just going to say, I, I may simply be backfilling logic here, <laughs> um, but... We're all about backfilling logic on Digital Gonzo. <laughs> but the, the impression that I got with regards to what the, the black goo is intended to do, and this is primarily taken from the initial scene where the... If the sequel isn't called The Black Goo, then they missed a trick. <laughs> where, the, um, where the engineer drinks it, and then his body breaks down and he jumps into the waterfall. That seemed to me to be uh, that the the purpose of this stuff is to break down the DNA of the person who imbibes it. They then transfer that broken down DNA into a body of water or something to dilute it. The broken down DNA is then able to combine with um, elements chemical elements in whatever environment the person has or the engineer um, has transferred into so assuming that that beginning bit was earth which we've got no evidence that it was that might have been something that happened fairly recently rather than what we're assuming something that happened yes. millions and millions of years ago um, it, the, the broken down DNA of him then combines with hydrogen carbon whatever else is in the water to start to create the things that then grow into life on earth the idea being that if you combine the engineer's dna with the elements of the planet that they're on whatever life comes out of that will be suited to that planet and then you don't have to worry about you know life forms that for some reason can't cope with water or can't breathe the right air for wherever they are yeah indeed when you look at what happens with the later ones, now I will freely admit that there is a great deal, or seems to be a great deal of, you know, narrative contrivance in what it actually does, and it does seem to be, you know, whatever we think would look cool in this scene. Um, but the fact that Charlie only has a little bit, 
and the speed with which it starts to break his DNA down is very slow. Um, that's something that what happens to him is not necessarily uh, inconsistent with somebody only having a tiny amount of it, if that's what it is intended to do, that it's simply intended to break down the DNA structure of whoever consumes it. Didn't a worm come out of his eye? Um, when he was looking in the mirror, there appeared it, to be a worm coming out of his eye. It could have been a worm. It could have been um, a, like... Um, Spirochete? Blood cells all linked together in a chain. So it's like bleeding solid... But it waggled. Yeah. D- does bleeding solid waggle? Well, you don't normally bleed solid, so I think it can do anything it wants. Looked kind of wormy to me. Well, yes, it did look kind of wormy. But yeah, then you've Maybe got. Maybe it the... was him freaking out and. Yeah. yeah. Also possible. Yeah. Maybe it got if to his was, brain. Yeah, if he was like stressing and there was pulses of, of tension going through his What's head. What's in me? It's worms. Something out of his. I. Um, but then you've got, you know, the, the, the guy who got the concentrated dose and appeared to hulk out. Mm. There wasn't well, well, anything... He got it in the face. Yeah. There wasn't anything for his DNA to combine with. So it could be that it simply broke him down and then he solidified again with elements of his suit, um, elements of um, the, rock the pot that he had Bit in his uniform, bits of the worms, Cheese all sandwich. sorts of things. The hulking out part, I kind of just put down to, he's going to be in immense pain right now. Which makes <laughs> Frankly, you smash in someone's woke, head. Well, if I woke up and I was going through DNA blending with a spacesuit, I think I'd probably hulk out too. Well, Also, it served the script really well because it meant an extremely violent act around about the same time that uh, Kane had his particularly violent escapade. I don't know if this... Because as far as I can see, from the events at the weapon facility, let's just call it that, mm. the black goo, for me, seemed to consistently do the same thing. It wasn't breaking down your you know, body the same way the black goo at the beginning of the uh, forerunner, oh wait, um, Promethean, whatever. Um, um, It it seems more like a a retrovirus in that you can program it to do whatever you want it to do. So this particular, you know, brand... You can write it to do whatever you want it to do. (laughs) But the the one, the retrovirus, I'm just going to call it that, um, that they had at that facility seemed to deliberately mutate whatever uh, whatever it came into contact with mm. and um, with a specific design in mind because it seemed like every product kind of en- ended the same way like a very aggressive the worms eventually turned into this uh, face hugger prototype mm. um, the guy seemed to be for me that's what it looked like to me it felt like he was giving off um alien vibes and um and then of course she gives birth to this horribly squid. mutated face hugger squid that spawns an alien effectively at the end mm. like, a different kind from, of alien not the alien we know but it goes from a face hugger to a body hugger and then attaches itself to the uh, engineer spawns what looks like an alien, and then it starts to mutate and 
That's what I it, well. it, for me it all felt like this this facility was research and development into trying to create what we see in the alien the alien So basically the carving of the xenomorph from the wall was like right lads this is what we want yeah we've had 17 <laughs> different weird kind of squids let's have another go oh I've yeah, got to go to sleep for 2000 years I feel I feel like we we're seeing the failed projects we're seeing the things that they reject yeah, I also we're feel like we're seeing a failed project <laughs> no, Sorry, but, too easy. <laughs> but I I feel like everything in that room was like these were this was the process to get to the egg. This yeah. isn't the egg. This is what we were trying to get to, but these were early attempts. See, I didn't get the impression that they were tr- they had anything any intent in mind at all. I did. I agree with you on the whole. Are we talking about the scriptwriters here or the? No. Sorry, I'm going to be scathing like this the whole time. I think it deserves it. If you if you actually are feeling personally insulted by me doing this, you should probably turn off now because it's going to get worse. <laughs> Question two: Why and how did the engineers tell our primitive ancestors the location of a scientific research facility where they were plotting our demise and suggest we paint it on our walls as a reminder? I can't explain that <laughs> because it otherwise been... we couldn't have found where it was. It could have been a warning. It could have been, don't go here. Well, surely they'd have people going, ah, on the walls. Have you ever seen cave paintings? They're very non-specific. They're just like... Do you think that that's what the script writers meant? That it was a warning? And they thought it was an invitation, like like, like Shaw said. Kind of like the um, garbled message at the beginning of Alien, which they interpret as an invitation, turns out to be a warning. Uh, I, I, I will tell you one logical reason why actually it is there. It's a test for humanity. If you can get here, then you're a target. If you can get here, then you are smart enough to actually be of some form of a threat to us as smartest species in the universe. So come here. It's, basically, it's like um, one of those bits in one of the Rockstar games where you're told to go and meet the person who you know is going to betray you. And you go in there and you're like, oh, at what point is he going to betray me? Oh, it's now. With, with you saying that... Uh the message at the beginning of Alien could have been a warning, and our sort of theory that it's sure mm, at the end... Could have degraded over time. Or, or maybe it's the fact that, obviously, she interpreted, I- interpreted that original message as an invitation, mm. and obviously quickly then found out in Prometheus that it wasn't, and then she's broadcasting saying, don't come here, you know, or maybe destroy, come with a massive force and get rid of it or you, you know so maybe that sort of intertwines with our theory of it's it's sure that's yeah the, uh, but if it was sure doing it why would she invite human beings onto a planet that's completely deserted just to give the alien something to impregnate <laughs> well no well well like we said it the, the message kind of deteriorated over time yeah, but so if if it's on an abandoned planet just don't send a signal at all just well, don't fight let it die blow up the ship if you can yeah maybe she got chest bursted first and the alien sent the message yep hello hey, is anybody hey, there the <laughs> and uh chowing down on the cigar question three why does nobody seem to know one another on this mission because it creates drama <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, Drama comes in interaction. It doesn't yeah, come yeah. in loads of people ignoring each other. <laughs> I think they were trying to hit the same beats as Alien in that there was tension at the beginning, and then I'm, there's a literal line, I'm here to get paid, uh, you know, riffing on Parker and Brett. 
and they I were mean, sort of trying to create that tension. But ultimately, it is obvious that the guys in Alien have worked together long enough to have grown tired of one another. To a, to a point, you would have potentially people who don't know each other on a mission like this because you're sending ex, you know, the, the foremost experts in their fields to go on this very expensive mission and you don't want to send someone who's going to fuck it up. You know, so to a certain extent, you're going to have people who, who uh, aren't a cohesive group. But equally, these people are probably going to work together before, at least to a point. And it did seem a bit strange that no... Other than um, Holloway and Shaw, no one seemed to know each other. Oh, and the uh, two it, guys who kept making the bet, they know knew each other. Well, yeah, well, they were part of the crew of the ship. No. Those no. three are the crew of the ship. So, you know, that's fair enough, but you'd think someone would know someone else. They should have trained together, if nothing else. Mm. These, are, these are, you know, astronauts. They're going to an alien planet. They had to have done a lot of training. You wouldn't send people who weren't a team. <laughs> Not if you'd spent a trillion dollars on it. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. I, I don't see how that works out on paper. Let's make sure that they don't even have a meal together first. I mean, they do team building exercises in offices that design cell photocopiers. <laughs> That's not as important as this. Anyway, um, question. What are we on? Four. Question four. Why did Charlie take his helmet off on the ship? It seems like a very stupid thing to do, risking contamination of everyone else, and didn't noticeably serve the plot. I can answer that one. Yep. He did it for the same reason that Diane Fossey went in amongst the gorillas, and it was to demonstrate that the air was breathable and that they had effectively nothing to fear from this place. He turned out to be quite substantially wrong, mm. but that I think so that's Diane what Fossey. he was. Yeah, well, I think that's what he was trying. That was to poachers, show. not gorillas. What got? Well, yes. I want to play Sigourney Weaver. Mm, that's what made me think of it. <laughs> I get the I get that argument, but at the same time, he's a scientist. Yeah. He's and a stupid scientist. Yeah. It was much to show that he was very impulsive and he was starstruck at this point. And, and also the fact that, you know, the air all around that place is deadly. Mm. You'd think, well, just in case, like, this clean air suddenly stops working and all the deadly air floods in... Maybe or if there's something we can't detect it. with our human detection thing, that maybe something that's beyond what we understand is on the ship as well. Yeah. Plus, he he took his helmet off despite the fact he was told not to by a number of people and a number of people called him crazy but as soon as he took his helmet off and went ah beautiful everyone else went oh okay then and then took their helmets off and yeah. why did everyone else fine yeah, you want to take sure. your helmet off you be crazy and die I'm leaving but you're not on. coming back on the ship because you're yeah. probably going to be infected with alien herpes <laughs> airborne alien herpes um, question five. What were the engineers running from in that hologrammatic recreation? Why did only one of them survive? Why did he go into stasis when the craft was quite able to escape? Uh, I got nothing. Um, I assume they're running away from... Well, no, there's no evidence of aliens, no. so... That can't be right. Dead alien lying around. Nope. So they, you know, where did it go? And seeing as humans are quite capable of killing aliens, you think these guys would be more than capable of killing a few? Didn't seem to have any forerunner weapons on their ship. I mean, it's, it's quite. I mean, possible. it must have been pretty big to make them all run. It's quite possible that they had um, engineered in in the course of their experimentation that they had engineered something else completely unrelated to the the xenomorph alien that we mm. know um, that happened to have got loose and chased them around. However. 
if that's the case... Why did they not explain that, what it was at any point in the film? Well, no, but if that's the case, the, the, what happened and what we saw and the setup and the fact that it hasn't changed rather suggests that that happens quite often and that their safety protocol is shut all the doors, go to sleep, wait until it dies and then come back out and start again. Maybe that was the idea. The idea was that the ship was supposed to wake him back up again when it had gone, but it never did. Maybe. Maybe. It's possible that he was a mechanic and couldn't fly the ship. Um, Maybe all the pilots died. I don't know. Maybe it was the pilot got his head chopped off. Does uh, Shaw fly the ship at the end on her own steam, or does she get David to fly it? David flies it, I think. All right. Because he's a robot. Yep. Okay, well, that explains it. Because he's a robot. Okay, um, <laughs> question... One, two, three, four, five. Question six. Why did nobody keep in touch with Milburn and Fifield every moment they were inside the ship? It was a chance to keep them both safe and sane and possibly explore a little more of the ship they spent three years travelling out to sea. Actually, they, they... Sorry, four years. They go to the extreme away from that. Doesn't um, the pilot... Uh, the pilot, the captain... Stringer um, Bell. Yeah, doesn't he like ignore what they can, or he can see quite clearly what's going on around them, and he's like, uh, no, no, we can't hear you. This, this is boring to me. I am turning it off. He seems to be more interested in um, his accordion. His accordion and voting, voting college there on, and I can yeah. honestly <laughs> sympathise. <laughs> Anyone? Anyone got anything um, serious? They were about? unlikable characters, and they, they were. wanted we don't to like die. You. Therefore, we want you to die because ultimately you're in a very inhospitable place, and I think I'm just going to punish you. So there you go. Uh, if he if um, he did indeed have an agenda, we never got to hear about it because he just seemed like a regular guy, and he was willing to die to protect the human race. So yeah. anyway, um, question seven: How did Fifield, the overly aggressive and twitchy geologist, get marijuana onto Prometheus and into his suit? You can't get quirky. You can't even get an iPod on a plane. <laughs> um, it did make him quirky, and uh, it, it, it allowed him to commit one of the cardinal sins of a horror movie, which is to get high. I, I you can't have sex, and frankly, I'm very glad they didn't have Milbourne and Firefield have sex. Um, they, yeah, you, you can smoke or drink, and that basically allows it, it to be a cautionary tale about not doing that because otherwise a monster will get you if he's a pot smoker why was he that aggressive and twitchy because he was coming across more like a crackhead quite frankly possibly because the script writers have never smoked pot <laughs> possibly so yeah um, maybe he was actually smoking space crack uh, question 8 why did Milburn the frightened biologist try to pet what was obviously a hideous and deadly space cobra emerging from a puddle of terrifying black goo and rearing up obviously to strike him in the face calling upon some of man's most base, primal instincts of get away from this terrifying snake. Because he thought it was E.T. Um, no, no, it was beautiful. Know. He said it was beautiful. Yeah. You're beautiful. That's really not beautiful. Oh, who's a cute little snakey? Ah! Yeah, I think biologist. Whale well, biologist. <laughs> That's my excuse. It's a hard one to explain. There's no explanation, that's why. The snake was ugly. Well, biologist. <laughs> they didn't even need need to do it in order for him to get attacked by the snake, because yeah, the, the snake could have just leapt across the room and, or snuck out of a dark corner. 
It's, it's just, just to make him do one of those things people do in horror movies where they approach a thing that appears to be harmless and turns out to not be harmless. Mm. <laughs> well, the, also, even though that thing looked clearly harmful. It, yeah, it, 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 it was, was exceptional. Yeah, it was aggressive. It, it had, it had, had huge venomous males. teeth, and that would have been the only thing that would have made it more <laughs> harmful looking. Uh, the thing is, I think they, they were kind of falling into the old um, slasher flick trap um, with that, in that the clearly stupid and unlikable people get eaten first or, you know, killed off first. That's most of the crew. But, well, you see, here's the thing. This is supposed to be a team of hand-picked scientists and astronauts. Why are any of them stupid? They, they have all got to have... How did Harvey IQs. get onto Icarus 2? Uh, I don't know. He paid someone. <laughs> More oh, sunshine later this year. He was obviously just a very good communications officer. He was a communications officer, officer on a ship without communications. Hello, Mr. Wayland. Hello. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Shaw. If that name sounds familiar to you, it's because I've been calling your office every day for the last month. I think you people were hoping I'd give up. I'm, I'm not good at giving up. I'm an archaeologist. I have doctorates in paleontology, archaeology, human ethology and metics. This is not who I am. It's simply what I know. I make the distinction, sir, because there's a difference in what a scientist knows and what they believe. That difference is proof. Do you feel that all the science in the world will never give us the answers we really want? Where we came from? Whether or not we are truly alone? I believe there's a place where every one of those questions could be answered. I believe I know where that place is. I need you to get me there. If you don't respond, sir, I, I completely understand. But uh, I'll be sending this transmission again tomorrow. Thank you. Right, question I don't care. Why is the incredibly expensive medical pod only calibrated for men? It's presumably meant for Wayland, right? So why not put it in his section of the ship? Right. To say that it is specifically only calibrated for men is utterly nonsensical. Most of the procedures that it would be called upon to perform would be exactly the same, regardless of who they were doing it on, surely. And I mean, yes, there are some very specific female-only conditions, but all it has to do is when she says those um, procedures, you know, not recognised. So I suppose yeah. if you want your prostate checked, it's all, it's all gone. If it, if it has to be specifically calibrated for a, a male or a female, you get men in many different shapes and sizes. You get a lot of men who are similar shapes to a lot of women. It's, it, it, you'd have to calibrate it for an individual person, surely. And, and when we're talking about, like, organs, your internal organs, about... You know, 90% of them are exactly the same whether you're male or female, so what's the big deal there, to be honest? Absolutely. This um, pink iPod is calibrated for women. It cannot be used by men. Yes. I mean, having it calibrated for a specific person makes a certain amount of sense. Oh, yeah. Mm. If they said... Calibrated for Peter Wayland and nobody else, or for a specific person and no one else, so kindly piss off, this is no good for you. I've got my levels set just the way I like them, don't mess with that. Yeah, that would be understandable. But of course, the pod needs to be 
um, usable to an extent by Shaw. Otherwise, obviously, the, the, the film would go a little bit off course. Uh, mm. So why not just have the pod carry out the procedure? Yeah. Just, I mean, you, why throw in that nonsensical stumbling block, you mean? Yeah, yeah I mean, you've, you've, got the, you've got the fact that, it, you know, she says cesarean, it says it doesn't recognise that procedure, so she goes through the whole abdominal surgery thing. That didn't need the whole not calibrated for females. And why is it in Vicar's apartment... If it's not calibrated for females. If it's not females, calibrated for females, it's totally useless for her. It's going to make people smell a rat. Yeah. Plus... But they don't because they're all stupid, so that's fine. From a from a from a filmmaking point of view, not even from a story point of view, it would have made far more sense for Shaw to be as surprisingly nimble as she was after abdominal surgery, if it had gone perfectly according to plan and according to a specific procedure, rather than the Frankensteinian version she had of a cesarean. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. Okay. Well, it's, I, I know people who've had abdominal surgery. They couldn't walk properly for weeks, yeah. let alone hurl themselves across vast gaps in planets. It's ridiculous. I was going to say, I, I had an emergency cesarean. It went, it went textbook. It was perfect. I healed about as well as anybody ever has ever, according to the nurses. They didn't let me out of a wheelchair for 48 hours. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it's question... Question X. In the future, we will staple your stomach as you like it that way. Why was Wayland under the impression that the engineers could cure being 100 years old and moribund? There appears to be no indication in the simple star map that these creatures can reverse ageing. They have stasis pods, that's about it. They could have put him in one of them. He had one of them anyway. Stay on Earth. In a stasis pod. Yeah. And then if we come up with a cure for old age, he'd have been in the right place instead of three years on a spaceship away. Was it Arnold Rimmer who said, oh, yes, I'm sure they cured death the minute we left Earth, Lister. Take three (laughs) of these and you'll soon be living again. (laughs) Question Thundercat symbol. When the engineer woke up after a thousand years of sleep... What or several thousand years of sleep, we don't know. Why did he immediately start murdering everyone he met in a furious rage? Is he not supposed to be an advanced being of some kind? Would he not check his mailbox for updates from the rest of his species as to where our race stands with them? Yeah, that doesn't make sense unless... He could have started an intergalactic war doing that. Yeah. He could just have killed the king of the future. He could have just killed some, just some children who happened to stumble across him. The, I, the, you know, he doesn't know. I think um, even though they are you know, an advanced race of beings, um, in the previous Alien films, whenever someone has come out of the stasis pod, they have felt illness, uh, dizziness. Yeah, but... Cranky. Crankiness, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So but maybe he's just a bit... Not enough to wake up to your face, Midge. No, but that doesn't make sense because he is killing with purpose. It's not yeah. blind rage. He actually, but once he gets out the pod, he uh, kneels before them politely and then starts murdering everyone. Um, so he's clearly of sound mind. Um, uh, it doesn't Wouldn't make David sense. David talk to him first. Yeah, David yeah. started talking to him in uh, a language assembled to resemble the um, engineers. And Maybe he's like, oh, right, yeah, very interesting. Right, snap your head off, kill this old guy. Maybe David just got it a little bit wrong and really, really insulted <laughs> yeah. my mother. My mother was well, this and ripped his head off. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> 
that old guy, he slept with your mum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said she was rubbish. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, why did Benedict Wong's Ravel and Emmon Elliot's chance keep going on and on about their stupid bet? Characterisation. Possibly characterisation. to have some. I'd say it's more down to the fact that um, that's actually a sly dig at the audience like us. The ones who are overthinking this film and saying it got, it's, it's got to be about terraforming. It's terraforming, terraforming, terraforming. Uh, let me tell you, folks. Don't make fun of your audience. Don't make fun of your critics. If you insult and accost them, we have no audience. M. Night Shyamalan tried that. <laughs> Didn't turn out too well for him. Question that symbol. Why did Vickers escape in her pod only to be crushed by the ship? Was it just so that we could see someone crushed by the ship? Why didn't so, she why didn't run? She run- the other way it's just uh. nobody you don't see we no don't know if body. Vickers is dead or not and Sharon's theory was that she was a synthetic yeah synthetic and she's going to be your evidence one. being that she referred to him as father uh, she referred to him as father when she's far far too young to be his biological daughter Charlie she, Chaplin had kids when he was 90 and he was too old to hold them but. yes but if that was the case I think they would have made a point of that it's Maybe I saved some of my old boys in frozen storage with the rest of me. Maybe, and if I I am proved wrong, then I'll be proved wrong. But I think she she looks a lot like um, the way they made David look, as in like a female version of that. Mm. The platinum blonde hair. Version 9, or was was it David's version? David 8 and Davina. Maybe so. Um, But again, the scriptwriters didn't give us enough intrigue or or reason. Uh, Vickers wasn't interesting enough of a character to make it like, oh, I hope Vickers comes back. Also, if she was uh, an android, if she was a better version of David, surely she'd have gone, oh, this thing's coming towards me. I'll just nip off to the left here and it'll roll straight past. Instead she went, oh! and just got squished. Like she got way too stressed and angry, didn't she? Mm. All the time. In, in, way, in times when she wouldn't have to. I mean, if, if anyone's a, 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 an android, string a bell. The ghost is everything that we've seen about and, uh, androids in the entire franchise. <coughs> they don't lose control. They don't get stressed and go mental, even when they've been chopped in half or had the head taken off. If David's designed to understand emotions but not feel them... Um, which is, you, you can't understand emotions if you can't feel them because they can't be explained. Um, but maybe the, the next version or the version that she is um, was designed to experience something of emotion, to have those um, chemical responses to things irrationally. Again, that would be much more interesting if it turned out she actually was a synthetic, as opposed to just she dies and goes... And she actually doesn't just die. She goes underneath the ship as it's rolling around uh, on top of her, and she holds up her hand and goes, No! Also, David does feel emotion, because he says, I was afraid you died, too sure, towards yeah. the end of the movie. So. Also, what's the point of making an android that is exactly the same as a human... If they are simply exactly the same as a human, just have babies. What, what purpose yeah. are they serving? Yeah, they need to be better than humans. To something, they need to be you know able to deal with stress better or whatever. Or Otherwise, there's a bit pointless really because there's million billions Most of us actually screw up vital <laughs> yeah. missions. Exactly, it just makes no sense. Um, on the subject of well, I think she may well be some kind of synthetic. That also makes sense from a, a plot yeah. point of view because she just looks quite a lot like one. <clears throat> 
on the subject of David's head, why was it still in the exact same spot after the ship had gone over and over and over and over and then crashed? Artificial gravity. They filmed that scene in one go. The, the fluid coming out of his neck is very sticky. I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> he gripped it with his mouth. He gripped the floor. Oh, this is going to be a big one. <laughs> well, he is Magneto. So. My word. <laughs> With the emergence of the creature at the end, what do we understand the alien life cycle to be? Were they a mistake, a byproduct of the terraforming process, or were they the end result of this particular project? This goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the Bakgu. Uh, how do you figure? Well, I think the alien we see at the end is just an accident, and we're probably never going to see... He never. Fi- I don't think he figures into the uh, proper alien life cycle at all. I think that the... The final product, if you will, is on another ship. Uh, you know, all those eggs are in where John Hurt finds them at the mm. beginning of Alien. I, I think a lot of what they're doing is simply... Um, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily geared towards developing a, a biological weapon specifically or, or trying to engineer a particular kind of life. I think that they're just aiming to throw a lot of shit at a wall and see what happens. Hang on, are we talking about these filmmakers? talking about the engineers at this point, but yes, it could... It's a wonderful metaphor, though, isn't it? Because Uh, the the, the bit at the end with the alien is like, look, if we don't show the xenomorph at the end of this one, no one's coming back to see this film. Just put it in. In the same way as they leaned on Sam Raimi to put Venom into Spider-Man 3, they forced an alien into that particular story, even though it didn't make any sense. So why not make it look like an alien, then? Well, it, it was um, evolving, well, in a way, at the end, when it opened its mouth and it started its... Well, to it leave more questions unanswered and to make you want to come back and see more. Remember, exactly. what, the, the Damon Lindelhoff co-wrote many, many, many episodes of Lost. The fr- I think the frustrating thing about that is that nothing evolves in a vacuum. If you want to show something mutating and evolving, you need to give us a reason why it's evolving that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it developed this protruding mouth because, I don't know, it was still changing and it was trying to get at somebody who was through a set of bars or something. You know, give us a reason why this particular I don't thing think evolution happens. happens over... Well, no, but... That's your like span said, of time. It's still, it's still mutating. Maybe the, the whole point of the black goo is that it uh, allows you the DNA Speed to the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly, to continue mutating well, in, which case, in accordance with its immediate environment. That would but it has no immediate environment. That would sort of explain how Firefield was able to get from one ship to the other without suffocating. Mm, yeah. He grew new lungs to accommodate the... Or just filter the air But what... The, I would have liked to see some thoughts no on that. No explanation whatsoever. Don't hit the table. Sorry. Even in the context of all of the backfilling logic and all of the this is magic alien black goo that can do anything it wants. That's literally what they were on the side of the jars. A, a being that was uh, the product of human sperm and, you know, implanting itself in, in a human womb because there's no indication that there was any of her... Uh, DNA genetic material because yeah. she actually said she can't have children yeah. so we assume that there is something with her eggs that, that means that that thing is not any part of her it was just implanted by uh, Charlie why does it have tentacles? why is it a huge squid? I see, note, you see, wasn't it such a brilliantly subtly delivered line when he said you know they can, they can replicate and she went I can't replicate 
And then they left it for a second, and then he said, you mean you're barren? Oh, yes, I remember that now. I'm just going to say, right, that I do not think that this... The, the ending with the alien appearing is as unexplained as you guys are suggesting. I do, I feel like it's heavily suggested that the black goo is a genetic coder. It's intelligent design. It's not about evolution. These guys were specifically going for a particular kind of organism. And the reason why it ended the way it is, is because that is what they're trying to get at it's a crappy version of it like it's not what they exactly what they want but because that black goo is trying to attempt that it altered the dna in his sperm to try and create something similar to that Mm. but it didn't quite get it right and that's why we get this weird creature at the end um i I don't know i felt like it kind of made sense to me I, I don't think, again, I don't think if they intended, if they had a specific plan to create that one type of being, why the hell did they need so many ships with so much goo, with so much um, uh, randomness apparent in how it worked? I mean, I, I could believe that if it was one lab with a table and a load of scalpels. But that, that's how that's how scientific R and D works. You have trial and error. You have failed experiments. You have so all those other um, yeah. jars that they had in storage were like the ones that for the goo that didn't work. Yeah, well, scientists do mm-hmm. keep records of stuff that fail. Yeah. They have. What to about keep... the um, guy at the beginning the who drinks that same control. goo and then jumps in the sea? Well, that isn't the same goo. That's a oh, retrovirus. Well, I'm assuming like the same goo to me, but. Well, That's it, what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's the same stuff. Those, those jars are disgustingly unlabeled. Yeah, you might want to think about relabeling. I am running under the the assumption, and I'm willing to admit this is a an assumption. You may be proven to be absolutely right. Yeah, this. but this is a retrovirus, mm-hmm. and a retrovirus is something that can be programmed to do any number of things, and this is something that exists in science. A retrovirus can go into DNA and recode it in ways, whatever it wants. It can go into a, a cell and completely destroy it if you wanted to, or it could go into a cell and change the genetic code in a way that's more beneficial my feeling is that black goo is like this thing it's almost like um what's the thing in extremis that tony has that's what i was thinking about with the uh, new lungs yeah so he programmed it to do something specifically different for him than it did to that southern hick guy Mm. who went around killing everyone it's it's something that you can code to do a specific task to DNA. Um, In the beginnings case, it was designed to break down that guy's DNA and then form the Earth life cycle that would eventually lead to humans. In this particular case, they were trying to fast track it. They were trying to make a specific organism really quickly. Are you getting that from the fact that they had the picture of the xenomorph on the wall? Yes. Right, okay. I really genuinely hope that they had that much thought that went into it. I'm worried that they didn't. It might well be then that each ship and therefore each lab was trying to create something different. We don't know what they had on the walls in the other ships. One of them was trying to make alien clowns. One of them was trying to make, you know, a unicorn that swears. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a scene with um, David and I've forgotten his name because he wasn't a memorable character. Um, her husband, Just one of them? Shaw's husband. Charlie. Charlie. 
Charlie. You mean that guy, you know, who was really bad acting? Well, I don't. I don't think the acting is the problem in this film. It's the script and the delivery. Because there's there's <laughs> loads of bloody good actors. There's loads of really good actors in this film. It's just the dialogue. Such good actors. Uh, well, see, um, good actors need a good script. Yeah. To be good. Actors. At the same time, what's his name? Stringer Bell. Idris yeah, Elba. but I've seen Idris Elba managed to be fucking really, really watchable with nothing in terms of script, but his delivery was excellent. Yeah, they, you can polish a turd. Yeah, but if everyone's just half-assed acting their way through it, then it's going to sound as bad as it is. Yeah, but anyway, maybe they were all distracted while they were while they were working because they had they were trying to work out what the fuck was going on as well. Mm. Quite possibly. One thing I would actually as well was. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the context was, but there's something to do with the fact that Wayland says he wants a true believer on board or something like that. He wants somebody leading the, the party who has faith. Mm-hmm. That's not what you want on scientific expeditions because fundamentalists and people who are acting on faith mess up your evidence. They ignore facts if it doesn't fit their theory. They, they've put too much into what they believe to accept what comes before them. So I don't think anybody would have let her near this project, to be quite honest. What is it about robots that makes them so robotic? At Wayland Industries, it has long been our goal to create artificial intelligence almost indistinguishable from mankind itself. Hello, I'm David. What can you do, David? I can do almost anything that could possibly be asked of me. I can assist your employees. I can make your organization more efficient. I can carry out directives that my human counterparts might find distressing or unethical. I can blend in with your workforce Effortlessly. David, what do you think about? I think about anything. Children play. Angels. The universe. Robots. David, what makes you sad? violence. I understand human emotions, although I do not feel them myself. This allows me to be more efficient and capable and makes it easier for my human counterparts to interact with me. Is there anything you would like to say, David? I would like to express gratitude to those who created me. Happy birthday, David. From Wayland Industries. Eighth generation Wayland type. Technological, intellectual, physical, emotional. Okay. Um, it would appear Ridley Scott has not seen Alien vs. Predator. 
He has nothing but derision for the project, and however, it would appear that writers Spates and Lindelhoff have. If Scott had been on the ball, he would have noticed the following. In both Prometheus and Alien vs. Predator, a team is put together by a dying Mr. Wayland to go to an inhospitable place against all reason and sanity to find the aliens he's obsessed with. The team is mostly incompetent and dislikable and led by a secretive and militant company figurehead. They find extraterrestrials who were responsible for the evolution of mankind back in our distant past. Despite this, it turns out the aliens are nasty. Wayland confronts one of them and is killed in a way that the entire audience can see coming a mile off. At the end, everyone we don't care about is killed, but the plucky female leads survive. Then the apparently dead, hulking extraterrestrial has a xenomorph burst out of his chest. Audience groans, and a sequel with a different certification is an inevitability. This is kind of like Alien vs. Predator, but with a, what be the word, a classy director? It's, it's, a, it's a remake of Alien, though, first and foremost. It follows the same beats. That's, that's enough of my questions. We've gone through the whole thing. And I sound like I'm really down on this movie. I really do. Yeah. There were so many good things I liked about it. There was... The central theme by Harry Gregson-Williams was really fantastic. We're going to play that at the end. There was... Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender was fantastic. Yeah. Also, for me, it it felt like Ridley Scott was more interested in exploring um, Michael Fassbender's, uh, you know, the idea of this robot becoming a human being, becoming alive. Uh, One of the more interesting parts of the film for me was when you're first introduced to uh, David and he's just walking about the ship where everyone else is asleep in their pods and he's watching movies like Lawrence of Arabia and he's styling his hair like um, you know Lawrence and um, it it was interesting seeing this almost like childlike persona um, like discovering all this stuff and discovering how to feel emotion and uh, you know feel attached to things like films and stuff like that I thought all of that stuff with David was really good and a scene I, w- I was going to reference earlier but we went off on some something else was the scene with um, Shaw's husband and him where he's talking about Charlie, yes. Um, they're talking about um, why. Uh, David asks him, "Why did you humans create us?" And he says, "Because we could." Imagine how disappointed you'd be if your creators said the same thing. And I thought that was a really interesting concept that wasn't really explored in the film too much. But oh well. David actually is party to some uh, of the human weaknesses in terms of the fact that he wants to be recognised for his brilliance. He wants people to to see him for the, for the marvel that he is, and he's a, a, a continuously astonished at how cat-handed his human crew members are. I really, really liked the introduction with um, just him on his own before everybody else started getting out of the mm. pods. I thought that was excellent. Wonderful piece of music there. I'll uh, find the uh, name of it. It uh, also happens to be... I don't know if it actually got to this particular section in the uh, song, but it was in the Halo 3 trailer. It's uh, Raindrop Prelude, Op 28, number 15 by Chopin. In fact, let's have it right now.
scene sort of reminded me of um, a little bit of the sort of early part of the space mission in 2001. Mm. Just him yeah. by himself exercising. And the classical music said it didn't hurt. Yeah. Though. It also reminded me a little bit of Wally. Like he's got he's got eternity alone to himself to grow a personality. And I I kind of wish, and I think Ridley Scott kind of wished as well that the film focused on that. I feel like he still wants to do Blade Runner again. Mm. Although he has got an undisclosed Blade Runner project in the works. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, think if he wanted to do that, why didn't he do it then? Well, lately, maybe, because he hasn't actually had quite a great track record with some of his recent films. So. A good year of uh, Robin Hood. Yeah. Not so hot, not so beloved. Yeah. He did American Gangster as well, which Bowl White's most critics loved. I haven't seen that, to be honest, but I, I didn't like Robin Hood. Uh, um, it's it's really boring. <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> it's so fucking boring. Remember <laughs> when we stopped watching? No, we had to keep watching it all the way through. Oh, God. That's one thing... I can say about Prometheus, it's not mm. boring. Mm. Well, for me, it wasn't. It's not too long. Mm. I was, I, I, you know, when I was watching, it, I didn't want it to be over. I, it could have, it could have been shorter though. They could have cut it down by probably fifteen minutes and uh, and not had a major issue. And still hit the same beats as Alien, which is what mm. I was trying. Um. <clears throat> I've got a whole list of other things we could talk about. Dialogue, characterisation. Is there any reason to talk about those? There were... Part of the issue I had with the dialogue, and I'm going to apologise in advance because I can't think of any specific examples, and I know what you're like with Gonzo. You're going to want them. We want research. Um, but we demand um, it. There were several points throughout the film where somebody said something, and I thought, hang on a minute, didn't they say that exact same thing like five minutes ago? And there was a lot of repetition, I felt, mm. that they didn't need. In fact, that's probably where your 15 minutes would come from, Matt, if everybody just said everything once. <laughs> and trusted that we heard it the first time. We could talk about Elizabeth and Charlie. There's a lot of um, comparisons between uh, Elizabeth and uh, Ripley nah, have been uh, made. Uh, uh, also, nah, uh, I, I don't feel that she's in any significant way like Ripley. No. She's not a person. She's not really... Her, her Her motivations are painted in such broad brushstrokes, and Charlie's are the same. Most of the characters are the same, to be honest. Their, their intent and their purpose are all so... Primary. They have one thing to do, yeah, and that's, exactly. in the case of most of no, them, to die horribly. There's no sort of multifaceted, well, you do this because of that, and your your response to this is because of Except that. David. Yeah. I mean, they, they make a big deal... Oh, right. This might sound silly, but they make a big deal about the fact that Elizabeth can't have children. Then she gets impregnated with something. And I know that she knows it's some kind of genetic monstrosity that she needs to get out of her as quickly as possible. But are you telling me there wouldn't be even an iota of her somewhere that thinks... Maybe it's a really awesome human child. Yeah. Who can fly. For, for even a second, you know, for, for even just a just a tiny weeny second. No, she's just got to get it no, out. No, just her. get it out. Although I did think that that um, the the cesarean scene is I I quite liked it. I thought it was quite good. It was well orchestrated. That it, it made me feel very claustrophobic as well as fear of mutilation. Mm. Mm. 
and fear of um, I actually really don't like surgery and watching surgery in, uh, in films actually I, I can't watch House did you not see anything when I had my c-section then? no nope, I was behind the curtain the head end sensible <laughs> um can I, can I give my quick yeah go for it forward review of Prometheus now <laughs> yeah go for it I know this one distinct lack of <laughs> there was only one moment when it went yep we need more I could say Janik and Vickers one's got an accordion the other one's a bitch <laughs> um it's weird comparing um, Alien to Prometheus because there are a lot it's of scenes... It's unfair comparing Alien to Prometheus. There are a lot of scenes that you can directly compare and you can also say exactly why it works in Alien and maybe doesn't work in Prometheus. Uh, for example, you were talking about the snake and why the guy touches it when clearly it's looks like a snake that's about to kill you whereas with um, John Hurt's character in Alien he's approaching the egg that makes sense because it's just an egg at that point like you don't know what's in the egg it makes nothing sense nothing that comes out of an egg can hurt you until Alien came along but it doesn't well, look aggressive do you know Alien's what I mean the a... egg itself looks completely unthreatening and you're just like, oh, what's, what's this say? I'll oh, just have a little look, have a little inspection. That makes sense. But when, then, when, when there's a creature that is playing on some of our most primal fears, the snake. I said earlier. Yeah, a snake is something that a lot of people are just inherently scared of. It's um, hardwired into our DNA to retreat from. Them. Well, they, they go and rear up and act super aggressive to make people get away from well, them. Snakes are specifically, uh, sorry to get into like science. But snakes are specifically designed to hunt down mammalian creatures. Everything about their design is designed to kill creatures with warm blood and, you know, big four-legged or big, you know, ape-like creatures. I know pythons will kill monkeys and small apes. They're designed to hunt our kind of creature so it makes sense that we have this inbuilt wired response in our brain ooh snake so why doesn't he have it it, does, it doesn't make sense at all but um okay, but so egg, just... eggs make omelettes you know I wouldn't want one of those omelettes it would look like leather <laughs> okay, Sharon, you, you're desperate to say something. What? No, 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 no. It was just, Josh, you kept saying they're designed to do They're not designed, they've evolved to do Sorry. That. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Well, but not yes. according to Prometheus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Possibly or possibly not. We're not entirely sure. They never really mm-hmm. answered that question. But okay. And also, John Hurt approaches the egg or pod or whatever you want to call it in, in Alien with great care, and it's it's all about he's investigating, investigation, yeah. and he's looking to see what it will do. Um, what's his name? Milburn. Milburn. He's a biologist, right? That implies he works with animals. <laughs> Is his usual approach with the animals he works with to poke them and see what happens? Because I think he'd have less arms if it was. He comes from the Steve Irwin uh, <laughs> school of biologists. God. Dive on it and see what happens. Oh, oh this is really pissed it off. Right. The engineers, the space jockeys, the guys who took off their elephantine uh, helmets and turned out to have big puffy white heads underneath. They look like something out of Blade. Um, what do you guys think of these? 
they are iconic in the same way as the xenomorph. I don't think xenomorphs to me. Oh, xenomorphs, yeah. Blank-faced ones. One they do. Ones. They do look very HR Geiger-ish Giga. design. Um, and I like that the arm. I think it's heavily suggested that the armor is kind of like biomechanical, like they grow the armor, like it's bone and and all their uh, equipment seems to be triggered by this gooey organic stuff. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm assuming this stuff. The film never says it, but I, I have to fill in the gaps. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like the design. They're nowhere near as iconic as the alien. Uh, just by virtue of the fact that they, they, they kind of just look like pale versions of us, um, slightly bigger. Yeah, but they look. I, I don't think they look bad. They look okay, but I was kind of disappointed to when I realised that the the space jockey in the first uh, in, in Alien. When I realised that that was effectively just a suit, when I figured that that was kind of a, a an organism that was grown into that navigation devices it turned out to be I thought that was much cooler it completely made them instantly seem more alien <laughs> which is kind of important uh, and then I realized it was just a, a strange suit I don't know I was a bit disappointed that it was just a suit that seemed a bit of a cop out really to make it easier to have big aliens running around it is also very un- uh, possible that it just unzips at the back and they're just a big pale white man underneath hmm well, they are. At the beginning of the film, you see a big white pale man. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah, no, he totally yeah. strips off, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- yeah, I, th- I thought they, they looked pretty cool. Josh, uh, Josh said, Josh, sorry, said, they kind of looked... Catching. <laughs> That's just me being unable to talk properly. Um, they, uh, they, does it kind of look like grown armour almost, like it's made of bone. They do look pretty cool. They look cooler with the suits on than with the the suits off to be honest mm. um, with the suits off they just look like uh, big albino people I I believe it actually would have been more iconic for them for you never to see that there was a white faced man under there and for them actually to maintain that, that head and to actually look like we've always thought the space jockeys would look because that's already somewhere in the back of our minds and what they've done there is take the mask off that and go that's just a blunt Mm. which is the opposite of iconic. It, yeah. it sucks all the weight out of something that has, over, over the years, grown, not in the forefront of our minds, that's where the alien resides, but there was no equivalent to the facehugger, there was a sort of a half-assed snake thing, there was no equivalent to the, uh, the, the xenomorph, there was no equivalent to the alien queen, there was no equivalent to the chestburster even. Nothing that came out of that film is going to haunt our nightmares. I don't think they really intended it to. I don't think they even intended this to be a horror film. So, why it follows the horror film tropes, I also don't know. Because it's not scary. No. In the slightest. There's a couple of jump scares, but they're not particularly scary ones, yeah, really. In which case, why are we so slavish to the, this tried and tested formula, which has been done so much better elsewhere? A couple of moments that made us all go, um, made us all go, ooh. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, d- just very briefly going back to the um, the engineers and the armor. When mm. when it it turns out that it is basically just a spacesuit, it also becomes a bit a bit stupid because the um, the the way it looks, they can't turn their head, but they have eye holes. They can turn their head without the suit on. They look around much like we do. With a spacesuit for a human, 
you have a great big glass dome and they can turn their head and they look around, that space immediately would hamper them, which kind of... Mm. It just cuts out the, the rationale behind it and makes it look... a. It was done just because it looked cool, or in this case, because they'd already designed the alien however many years ago. Which also calls into question, why the hell did they make their spaceships look so incredibly super creepy? If they're actually just like us, but slightly taller, and they're that smart, surely they'd have some sort of aesthetic that's not just H.R. Giga. If their bodies actually looked like something Giga would design, of course they'll make their ships look like that. But if they just look like us, I don't get where the connection is. Mm. Where's, where do their aesthetic um, parameters come from? And also, what you said about them not being able to turn their head, Matt, that's a really fine point. The, the setup of that armour seems incredibly primitive. They've sacrificed um, movement and flexibility and um, practicality for protection, mm. which, if they're advanced, surely they would have got to the point where they could compromise and find something that would give them both. Yeah. And the also, answer, why do they look so different from the space jockey in Alien? The answer to all of these questions is that we think far deeper about these films than the makers of Prometheus. Which is it's cool. depressing, but it's true. <laughs> I think we should phone Ridley Scott. No, we shouldn't. There's no point. Uh, this is a sobering but, but, but true situation. We have just spent weeks really thinking about Alien, really thinking about how it should go, and I guarantee the folks who made Prometheus spent literally minutes coming up with their reasons, and then they simply joined the dots and said, right, so we need the Protheans to be just white, tall guys. How, how can we make that happen? Well, it's a suit, isn't it? And then they just sort of joined it up together and said, right, let's make that film then. That is literally what fucking happened. Mm. It's depressing. Question. Was this film worth making? Mm. For any other reason aside from money. Interesting, because that's I a very think... different question to is this a film worth seeing? Yeah. Mm. Because ultimately it's there, because Ridley Scott said, many people are asking questions about Alien. This film's going to answer them, because it doesn't. All it does is throw out new questions. So actually what it does is jumpstart a new sequel and a new trilogy that you can make a couple more of. So ultimately, if, if its remit was answer these questions, it failed. It's weird for me because I do actually like some of the ideas the film is trying to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it feels like a film that's built on a weak foundation. Like, all the stuff that was... I'm using a metaphor here. Like, you know, the the actors, the director, the cinematography, the special effects were all very high calibre. The problem is that everything it was built on top of was kind of weak and flimsy and a bit, you know, it was just falls under its own weight and... That's what Prometheus is. It's a film with a lot of money and a lot of talent thrown at, thrown at it, but the, the base structure of the film, which is the script, wasn't, you know, good enough. Mm. Um, but if this film had a decent scriptwriter, I could see a... We could be talking about this film right now and saying how awesome it was and how amazing it was. It actually uh, doesn't need that much changing about it. It just needs yeah. a bit more explanation, uh, better... It needs polish, basically. 
Um, it's it the first draft of a script. Everyone, uh, Kermod said that everyone talks in the big picture. Everyone's always talking about the birth of life. No one's actually talking about the small scale of it. And when they do, it sounds inane. For me, it needs to either have more aliens or none at all. More xenomorphs. Yeah, yeah either it needs to be an aliens film or, or not just be something else with, with similar ideas. You know, a, a spiritual, a spiritual success, if you like. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be about aliens. It could be about an entirely different type of alien. Or what it, it just seems that I kind of got the impression that it was written as one thing and then it was, oh, let's make it an alien prequel. Yeah. And then, oh, actually, it. let's dial it down a bit and make it a new trilogy rather than a one-off film. That, that actually might be frighteningly close to what actually happened. Mm. It does seem like a lot of it was adapted from something that was there beforehand. There's a whole bunch of things, little things in there that are just, oh, this happened, this is a little bit of a nod to it. Like well, what they did with the Die Hard films, isn't it? And they, they're just like, well, exactly. we'll just make this guy John McClane then. Yeah, exa- that, exactly it. And it just kind of seems that it could have been better had they got committed to an Alien prequel or done something else entirely instead mm. of dicking around in the middle. It does seem like if you removed two sequences, then it wouldn't actually be anything to do with aliens. And if you changed Wayland's name to something else entirely. Yeah, or even keep his name as Wayland. There's a little nod to the films. Mm. You know, just keep these little sort of homages, if you like, these little nods, these little sort of bits of fan service to the people who are into Alien. Mm. And you explore the themes that you want to explore in, in the way you want to explore it. And you have a uh, an alien life cycle that relies on a two sort of larval stages if you like but yeah. you just do it differently you can completely start from scratch almost and it just seems that just you know kind of destroyed the impact of the film by trying to make it fit into the template of the alien mm. and aliens movies and then not be one of those movies you can't have a prequel to a film that isn't a prequel to the film yeah. it just doesn't work tell that to George Lucas the closest uh, equivalent of actually um, and they don't work either <laughs> <laughs> the closest equivalent I've uh, referred to it before is, is um, did anyone ever see Caprica? Yeah, yeah. It's a, um, a prequel series to the more recent Battlestar Galactica. And um, from, I, I watched the pilot and I was absolutely appalled. Now, I wasn't appalled at Prometheus, but it had the same kind of... But with Caprica, I mean, a lot, I've not seen it myself everyone I know said oh, it takes a little bit of time to get going then it gets really good but it is a direct prequel mm. what it doesn't at any point change anything it doesn't allude it's you know it's very specific about what goes on and it takes the original material and it's a prequel to it this isn't it's a sort of prequel and sort of prequels are a really bad idea there aren't that many of them. It's because it's, it's a really bad idea. That's why. There's not many cars that do. blow up spontaneously. Because ultimately, the, the, what we're used to are spin-offs where they take a character like you know, X-Men Origins colon Wolverine and they give you a prequel starring that character which isn't, doesn't really tie in with anything else except for a few moments. But this one, obviously, you don't even have any of the characters that you, you've grown up liking. And, and that was fine. They could still have done it and done it right. Ultimately, I think when it comes down to it, that the, if you look at the film as building blocks, it's missing so many bits that, as I said before, you can see people through the wall. It's weird listening to you guys talk about this film, because I clearly like it more than you guys. Um, well, uh, I, don't know about more. I, I like the film, I enjoyed it, yeah. I'm not sorry I saw it. And, yeah. if, and I sort of sat down to watch it as 
a film rather than as an alien prequel because I'd heard that it kind of wasn't. And as a standalone film, I kind of enjoyed it. What annoyed me about it was the fact that it tried to make all these little allusions to Alien and Aliens, and it kind of didn't really work for me. If they hadn't done that, I'd have been quite happy to watch it, and it looks good. It's a bit hammy in places. Some of the dialogue is rubbish. Some of the acting's a bit naff. But, it, you know, there's big explosions and stuff. It just doesn't suit the tone of an Alien film. Mm. I think I'm inclined to agree with that. I... I enjoyed it quite a lot when we saw it um, and I've been trying to figure out what it is the, the distinction between what I liked and what I didn't like and I think you're right Matt if it wasn't an alien film and it didn't need to t- well it's, it's not an alien film but if it didn't need to tie in with that universe I could just take it as a, a sci-fi film on its own and enjoy it for what it is like Sphere well, uh, uh, or Event Horizon the the an example I could give is, I mentioned this in, in a previous podcast, is Die Hard 4. Mm. I enjoyed Die Hard 4. Yeah, if it didn't have John McClane. It, to- it wasn't trying to be a Die yeah. Hard film and wasn't constantly trying to look back and you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, look what we're tying into. It would be mm. great if it had been someone else as a different character. It would have been fantastic. And it- but it's, that started out as... Uh, actually, no, that wasn't actually a film. That was based on an article. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, trying to fit something into what you kind of want it to be isn't really the right way of doing it. If you're going to write a prequel, you have to start at the source material and work backwards, and this hasn't. It started from this point, gone, oh, this is where we need to get to, and it's drawn a really wiggly line in between the two. Well, the other thing is that Ridley Scott doesn't give a fuck about any alien film that followed his, including Aliens. No. Yeah. Or he apparently has no alien. interest in it. He hasn't done a great job of tying it into that either. <sighs> we we shouldn't have to be coming up with links between. No, we shouldn't have to be justifying this film. We shouldn't mm. have to be justifying it as an alien. I mean, Josh Josh is doing a great job, but he's having to work really hard to make this work as a, as a prequel. And he, one of the main problems is the black goo. We've spent so long arguing about it, but because it's so unexplained and it never gets explained, the entire narrative hangs on what this black goo does. We can't and it's just come to a consensus. Does whatever we feel. Same like. one at the start as it is at the end. We don't even know the, the, the drink and the puddle. They're the same black goo. We don't even know that. Maybe that just everything in their world is goo. It's <laughs> the world of goo. <laughs> <laughs> they're not really big pale men. They're just white bags of goo that squeeze into right. uniforms. Here's a movie, dude. It's in goo form. <laughs> I think James wants to say something. Go for it. Yeah. Hi. Um. Going back to the initial question of do you think it was worth making this movie, I'm finding a hard time to... Like, don't get me wrong, uh, as a film, I really, really enjoyed it. it you you know, said uh, Blu-ray day one Well, that, that's, be- that's because I, I always do for films that I enjoy, <laughs> even if they're not amazing or even in, in terms of trying to, be, trying to be something that they're not. Um, I, I still go out and do that because I like adding it to my collection. But I'm finding it really hard to to answer the question of was it worth making this movie um as we said there's there's pretty much it's pretty much guaranteed that there's going to be a sequel so i think we'll have to try and rely on the sequel to answer that question for us maybe what is the black goo yeah what is the black goo um you know obviously it's going to make more money and all that and that's really probably the the main reason for it but Hopefully there will be in the sequel. Um, there will be something that will justify Prometheus being made. Um, 
We said that about Attack of the Clones. We said that about the Golden Compass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I'm yeah, I, I still really enjoyed it. But as I said, I'm finding it really hard to answer that specific question of was it worth making it? Because my next question this is the last one. Just do we go for it? Yeah. Um, did it need to be made? That was. Mm, is it worth making? Possibly not. It wasn't really necessary. Now that it's out there, it's but definitely it's... worth seeing so that oh, you can absolutely. join the debate and oh, so you yeah. can listen to this amusing podcast. <laughs> it also brought us together. Yeah. It did, yes. It but here is my final bounce. question, and think about this really carefully. Do we need a sequel? Yes. It's not do you this want. This one wasn't made well enough. Yes, because this one wasn't made well enough. Mm. Okay. Josh? Um, I, I don't need a sequel because, uh, although... For me, it ended in a way where they could have a sequel to uh, better explain what's going on and also kind of bridge the gap between this film and Alien a bit better. But for me personally, I kind of don't need one because I can't, despite the fact the film never actually shows you it, I can actually see in my own head the events that would lead to Alien. So I'd kind of rather it just stay in my imagination yeah. than uh, yeah. a cheap film. Now you know how I feel about Prometheus. I wish he hadn't made it because um, when we first when we saw Alien two weeks ago, well, actually it was a lot longer than that because we had the Batman ones in the way, about a month ago, um, all of this stuff was shrouded and mysterious. And if he hadn't made it, it would remain shrouded and mysterious, and there would always be these unanswered questions. Now, not only has he not answered those, he's made it crap. So, just like the Star Wars prequels, had those not been made, we would always be able to imagine awesome things going on at that point. He's confirmed it. Still can, still do. I I would not (laughs) compare Prometheus to the Star Wars prequels. It's, a, it's an unfavourable yeah. comparison, and it's not anywhere near as bad as the Star Wars prequels. It's but I don't ever really want to watch it again, and that's worrying. And I don't, I, there's no reason for me ever to watch it. I I'm, think I'm looking forward to watching Alien 3, and even Alien Resurrection again for the next couple of podcasts. Mm. Probably more so than I would be to watching this again. Not only has Ridley Scott not watched the rest of the Alien series, he hasn't watched a lot of other films. Although one film he does, did seem like he'd watched was Sunshine, and I really wish he'd taken more of a leaf out of uh, Danny Boyle's book, because that would have... I, I, th- I think I said to uh, Sharon, when, when Charlie gets burned alive with a flamethrower and he drops down, it's supposed to be this incredible emotional moment, because uh, Elizabeth Shaw has lost the man she loves and the man who inspired her, and I just turned to Sharon and whispered, that would have been so much sadder if he hadn't spent the entire movie being such an insufferable douche. I really love Sunshine. So Sunshine, I think, is one of the best sci-fi films in the last ten years. And comparing Prometheus to that, it's clearly going to fall short. I think for me, Prometheus is... Uh, how do I explain this? I can extract the things that I thought were positive about the experience whilst acknowledging that there are problems with it. And I feel like the problems with the film don't bother me as much as they're bothering you guys. Um, I, I acknowledge they're there and they are problems and I wish they didn't exist. But the things I like about the film kind of 
it made me able to tolerate them in ways that I just cannot tolerate the worst examples of the Alien franchise. Hmm. Okay. Well, there are going to be loads of people out there in the Gonzo community and beyond who feel exactly the same. And I do not in any way want to impede impede that. I do not want to say, you're wrong, it was rubbish. I've not seen uh, AVP or AVP Requiem uh, yet. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely possible that after I have done... Uh, I'll be so traumatised that I will like Prometheus an awful lot more and think it makes a lot more sense. I I enjoyed the film. Definitely worth watching. It's it's an entertaining film. But don't go into it expecting it to be a prequel to Alien, because it isn't really. Well, it's a bit late, because everyone listening to this has already gone into it. (laughs) Maybe they should have put that on the uh, poster. (laughs) Don't go into this expecting it to be a prequel to Alien, because it's really not. (laughs) Would have been a better tagline than the one it had. It's kind of sad that if you, if you go to the alien forums, like I said, Xenopedia, the amount of people who are getting shouted down for saying they didn't like this film and how they wanted something different. And that, you know, they're getting threads locked left, right, and center by the moderators. It's, I don't know, it, it is a divisive film. There are a lot of people who are incensed by it, and a lot of people who are just not fussed and thought it was work, you know, it was serviceable enough. I, I've got the feeling that the actual production of it was fairly smooth. I could be wrong, but Alien and Aliens, and Alien 3 especially, had really troubled productions. Uh, at least from the first two, they managed to make brilliant films out of it. Alien Resurrection, smooth as an eel, everyone had great fun, and the film's a stinker. Maybe just the fact that everyone was so incredibly highly strung in Alien helped everyone act like they were being attacked by an alien. Uh, I think I'm kind of done with this movie, to be so honest. Am I. Yeah. Oh, as for do we need a sequel, my uh, answer to that was I, I really wish we wouldn't get a sequel because I, I would like this entire series to be put to bed for five to ten years and for then for someone with a, a fresh new idea to come along and start doing uh, an alien movie with the xenomorphs set. Actually, no, just as long as it's after Alien 3 and just cancel out Alien Resurrection, that's fine. Mm. And, um, and bring it back to the best things about Aliens. Because that's my favourite of the series. We've already seen what happens when the Master goes back and tries to make Alien again. We know that just doing a straight haunted house movie on an alien doesn't really work anymore. But Aliens we could definitely do again. Or something with a similar flavour to that, but on a grander scale. I don't know. But ultimately, if uh, Hollywood is is distracted by more and more Prometheus sequels, then that's not going to happen for a while. What I'd like to see is... sequel that answers questions from Alien and Aliens and Prometheus. What we're going to get is a sequel to Prometheus that more or less ignores Alien and Aliens Hmm. and will cause more questions to set up a third sequel and I'd rather have nothing than have that. According to the official statement on it, uh, another film will actually diverge even further from the Alien series. So, What's the point then? Good question. Again, this shouldn't have been anything to do with aliens. It's been it's said that it's it's Ridley Scott crafting worlds again. So start from start from scratch. <laughs> don't don't use something that already exists. It would have been far better if he just started from scratch and had nothing to do with alien. I, I, I don't even if you just remove alien from the picture. Ultimately, the film itself was okay. 
And that's the joy. Ultimately, it. yeah, it's, it's okay. But but that's the thing. If it's Ridley Scott crafting worlds, we're talking Blade Runner here. You know, make something that's actually awe inspiring. But when you when you craft a world in filmmaking. The film needs to be a small window on that world so that you can get the the feeling that behind that is something much bigger and much more complex and in-depth. Something like uh, Pitch Black. You're looking at a tiny, tiny fraction of what is built into a much bigger world that you only get hints of. If you try to cram everything about that world into your film, you make the world seem smaller. Because mm. you can fit it all in two hours. If there's a word that I can think of regarding a Prometheus sequel, um, I don't actually care about aliens at all in this case. And I don't mind that it's diverging, because ultimately we've seen the aliens be done to death. But I would really like it to be clever. This is not a clever script. It's not a clever movie. Not really. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if it's clever and it's nothing to do with aliens at all, and it doesn't really answer all the questions we've put forth, it doesn't matter. If we're watching a clever film, I'll be happy enough. Simple as that. Ultimately, this is big idea sci-fi stuff. So it should get our brains whirring. It should get us thinking on the bigger picture. And we should engage with it. No excuse not to make it clever. You okay, Josh? I really don't want... No, 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 it's fine. I I am able to, you know, have my opinion attacked and be perfectly fine with it. Don't worry. I'm I'm definitely not attacking your opinion. Oh, no, no, no. no, I'm I'm not attacking you either. I hope it's not me. I'm not attacking you. No, no, no. no. I'm just saying I'm fine. (laughs) Challenged? Yeah, that's a better word. Yeah. It's less aggressive. I hope I'm not being aggressive. No, no, no. Guys, you're fine. It's fine. If it makes you feel any better, Josh, I actually came on here intending to defend it, and I had several things that were quite positive that I wanted to say about it. Alex started talking, and all of my arguments kind of (laughs) went out of my head. Is there anything you can remember? Nope. Yeah. Not that I haven't already said in some format or other. Okay. Well, let's finish on the best part of the film, which is the very, very beginning, when it all lay in front of us. The main theme, Life, by Harry Gregson Williams. Uh, I would like to thank warmly from the bottom of my heart for coming on and going through this fairly punishing ordeal. Matt Ramsey of Dork Tunes. Thank you. Joshua Garrity of Ken and Rince. Thank you for having me. James Perkins of Geekwad. Thank you. Sharon Shaw of Gonzo Planet. Thank you. We will be back next week with Alien 3, and then a few days later, Alien Resurrection. Join us then. You've been listening to Digital Gonzo, I've been Alex Shaw, and this time it's hiding in the worst place of all.
Digital Gonzo episode 80.5, Prometheus Postscript. This is a rare instance of going back into a movie after it's been given the Gonzo treatment. I'm doing so now because I sat down for several hours and picked my way through the original script by John Spates under the title Alien Engineers. It was available online for a few brief days and has now been removed. I'm glad I caught it when I did. What I'm about to tell you may well change your opinion of this movie. It will certainly address the nagging doubts you might have. Before we start, don't listen to this unless you've seen the film. It will make even less sense. Spate's only other screenplay was The Darkest Hour 3D, which weighs in a whopping 12% freshness on Rotten Tomatoes, itself never an entirely accurate barometer of quality, but I've never heard anyone say a kind word about that piece of shit film. Right from the off, two things are apparent. One is how close to the final film what you're reading comes. Two is how brain-meltingly stupid and clumsy the writing is. The first half is pretty much identical to what we saw in the cinema. The space jockey who sacrifices himself at the beginning is devoured by tiny black insects who then bite primitive man, passing on jockey DNA and accelerating their evolution, which is just a more direct version of what was on screen. There's an additional scene of Holloway and Shaw, who in this script is named Jocelyn Watts, and is described in every cack-handed fragment of screen direction to be ball-achingly beautiful, meeting Wayland on his Space Odyssey-inspired space station. Here's a big one. The moon they are visiting is LV-426, so it was absolutely the one from the beginning of Alien. This was changed in the subsequent draft to allow for sequels. Another huge one. There are no urns. There is no black goo. The urns were created after this version to deliberately evoke but not deliver facehugger pods. The black goo was created to be a catch-all mystery substance which could do whatever the plot required it to. It's not cleverer than we are. There is no grand plan. To explain, this script was given an overhaul by Damon Lindelof who is fast becoming the guy you call in when your movie is fundamentally broken, and it was overseen by Ridley Scott. They took a stupid monster movie roughly on par with Alien Resurrection and gave it a coat of respectable paint. It seems smarter than it is, but the reason the intelligence never marries up with the events of the film is because, at its root, it is a generic haunted house movie. The characters behave this head-slappingly stupidly in Alien Engineers. Nothing changed in the meantime except for the following. Wayland was never on the ship. He's not in the script beyond the introduction. The reason he seems confusingly added in at the last moment is because he was. He doesn't want the key to eternal life, he wants the technology for terraforming. That's the fire of the gods he's seeking. He wants to be the key holder for new worlds. Somehow, even in this moronic original draft, Spates managed to give him a better motivation, more in keeping with the alien universe, than what Scott and Lindelof could come up with. Vickers was never his daughter, they just stapled that to her character to give Theron something to do. With no black goo, David, who is pretty much the same in both versions, although superbly presented to us by Fassbender, who really did manage the turd polishing better than anyone else, didn't spike Holloway's drink. Instead, Holloway finds proto-facehugger pods, gets facehugged, and chest bursts a squishy white alien hybrid during sex with Shaw slash Watts. This hybrid is described exactly like the one in Alien Resurrection. 
Schwartz goes back to the alien pyramid construct thing and finds the Juggernaut, the classic space jockey ship as seen in the film. David has been tinkering with the tech to get data for Wayland. Turns out this moon is definitely a bioweapons development station and the space jockeys were definitely going to send this ship full of classic facehugger pods to Earth 1700 years ago, thus wiping out their earlier creation, us, and populating the planet with xenomorphs. To what end? We don't know. John Spates never thought that far, but it makes a lot more sense than the zero explanation we get in the film. It was a death ship, and this is the very same one we saw at the beginning of Alien. David purposefully face-hugs Schwartz, and she staggers back to her ship, uses the medical pod, much like we saw in the film, but because this was a proper face-hugger, it's a proper classic alien that gets removed from her, and then grows to full size. Fifield, who got taken down in much the same way he did in the film, comes back as yet another different hybrid alien. He was the guy who was smoking pot in his suit. I, stupid, that's not even in the original script. Oh, and Vickers smuggled four marines on board whose sole task was to creep around with machine guns and get killed by the various alien hybrids. Firefield attacks Vickers, gets shot, and showers the lovely Carlise Theron with acid blood so her pretty face melts off. It's that level of creativity! In the final film, of course, she gets squashed by a rolling spaceship she was too dumb to run to the side of. That scene does happen. It's shortly after David again wakes up the surviving space jockey who again tears his head off and goes on a rampage. However, space jockey gets face-hugged and he's piloting the juggernaut when he chest bursts. Juggernaut crashes back onto the moon. He's the guy we see in Alien with the hole in his chest. There's facehugger pods all around the place. That's absolutely the ship. And then Schwartz is stuck on the moon. She can't fly home because the Magellan has crashed trying to take down the Juggernaut. She definitely can't fly off in another Juggernaut with no food or water to go to the space jockey homeworld and ask them why they want to kill us so much in the sequel. She plays chess with David's head and the Juggernaut awaits the arrival of the Nostromo in many decades. That's it. A silly, trashy retread of Alien that answered all of our questions. That's all it was. Everything added to it after this point only served to confuse the situation, creating more questions. I understand that Scott wanted to distance this film from Alien so that people could enjoy a new saga unfolding. But would it not have made more sense to have a film with those intentions written from scratch rather than getting a script that did the exact opposite, scribbling out the word facehugger pod and writing black goo over it in biro? The reason this film is so divisive is because many people were unable to reconcile the presentation of something clever with the execution of something that is at its core very stupid. But I do like Fassbender. <laughs>